Good afternoon, everyone. We live in a world today thoroughly imbued with a spirit of lawlessness. Our president has openly mocked God's word, the Bible. As for that matter, have many of the religious leaders in our nation and other nations around the world, not to mention many other people. The Bible is routinely mocked and ridiculed in our educational institutions and even among much of the general public. The Supreme Court has somehow found in our Constitution rights the Founding Fathers never would have dreamed of, such as the right to murder innocent children and the right of people of the same sex to marry one another. And similar practices are accepted in many other nations around the world. And especially these practices that have come to perhaps epitomize the degenerate state of affairs in our world, the lawlessness that prevails, these practices are especially prevalent in nations primarily descended from the ancient peoples of Israel. It is a fact that the leaders of some other nations of the world have chided the United States and other Western nations for their hedonistic lawlessness. Examples that come to mind include Russia and Uganda, whose leaders have criticize some of the things that are occurring in the realm of the decline of moral standards in our culture, in our nations. And there are others as well. Nations descended from Israel should be, of course, setting an example of obedience to the laws of God for the rest of the world. When God chose Israel, that's what he purposed Israel to do. That was the commission that he gave them. They were to be an example for the other nations of the world. And he told them that if they would obey his laws, that they would be a holy nation and a special people, a nation of priests to the rest of the world. Instead, we have become a reproach to many of the nations of the world, just as occurred in ancient Judah, We've become worse in our disregard for God's laws than the peoples we've displaced in our migrations across the globe. Notice in 2 Chronicles 33, verse 9, speaking of what had happened in ancient Judah, it says, So Manasseh, that was the king at that time, Manasseh, the king of Judah, seduced Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the nations whom the Lord had destroyed before the children of Israel. And the Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they would not listen. While we have reams and reams of laws on the books at the national, state, and local levels in the United States, often these laws are routinely broken and ignored by those sworn to uphold them. President has openly defied and broken a number of laws, and little protest is made. The more laws we have, it seems, the more 
lawless we become. Lying among public leaders is done routinely and without compunction. Although lying is common among political leaders, both elected officials and those running for offices, other segments of society are equally guilty. The media, government agencies, appointed government officials, corporations, academia, and not infrequently religious leaders all routinely engage in lying about all sorts of things, as do many ordinary citizens. Corruption and fraud are endemic in our culture. Not only lying, but adultery, idolatry, and almost every other conceivable evil is countenanced and practiced on a wide scale in our modern culture. The murder of innocent children has been institutionalized in our culture, and many millions, well over 50 million, I don't know what the exact number is now, but more than 50 million, perhaps more than 60 million, have been slaughtered in the last several decades in the name of choice. In 2007, Nancy Schaefer, a Georgia state senator, after investigating abuse and mismanagement of the government's child protective services system, wrote in a report, and I quote, I believe child protective services nationwide has become corrupt and that the entire system is broken almost beyond repair, end of quote. Suspiciously, she was found dead with her husband in 2010 of what was labeled a murder-suicide. The Schaefers were active in a conservative evangelical church. She had been active in the pro-life movement and in exposing corruption and child protective services nationwide with her husband's approval and support. At the time of her death, the Schaefers had received an accelerating number of death threats. She was working on a video exposing problems in child protective services in Georgia and nationally. Now, it perhaps cannot be proven or known for certain if she was murdered because of her work in exposing governmental corruption, but it is a fact that there have been a number of supposed suicides and other violent deaths linked to other cases where government agencies and officials were implicated in child kidnapping and pedophilia. In 1990, for example, an investigator for a committee of the Nebraska legislature was killed when his private plane was blown up in midair after taking off from a Chicago airport. He had gone to Chicago to collect documentary evidence of a child kidnapping and sex abuse ring involving prominent citizens of Nebraska, as well as high officials of the United States government in Washington, D.C., more than a dozen other people linked to this case were also died suddenly and violently. Millions of women and children are being used as sex slaves in our nations. By some estimates, as many as 27 million people are currently enslaved worldwide. A large proportion of them are women and children being used as sex slaves. Not infrequently, Law enforcement and other government officials are involved in human trafficking. 
One report states as follows, and I'm quoting, female victims of trafficking have often testified to the involvement of a law enforcement personnel or a high-ranking official in trafficking of humans. As many as 10% of the victims have testified to this, end of quote. Pornographers rake in billions of dollars in revenue every year plying their trade. Likewise, criminal enterprises rake in billions annually peddling illegal drugs to a public willing to buy. Alcoholism and addiction to legal drugs is also widespread. It's been reported that in the year 2009, in the United States, 23 and a half million people needed substance abuse treatment. The American Medical Association reported that in 2009, more than 13,000 infants were born in the United States with an addiction to prescription drugs. The Wall Street Journal reported that between the years 2000 and 2009, the number of infants demonstrating symptoms of withdrawal from opioids, including prescription painkillers, had tripled. Satanism is an officially recognized religion in the United States military. Even though the literature associated with this religion promotes human sacrifice as well as other abominations. There have been a number of cases of satanic ritual murder prosecuted in the United States. And it's believed that many more such murders occur that are not known to the public or reported. And these facts that I have alluded to here doesn't even really begin to scratch the surface of the evils and lawlessness that is rampant on the earth. We haven't even gotten into the subject of the wars which have led to the deaths of well over 100 million people in the last century. We haven't discussed Islamic fascist terrorism and other types of terrorist activity going on across the globe or many other facets of evil that could be discussed that are a part of the world that we live in. Entire books could be written and some have been written documenting the lawlessness that prevails within our political institutions and among the general public. Yet people remain unaware and unconcerned largely about the extent to which a spirit of lawlessness has saturated and permeated the entire world. Notice what we're told over here in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 11. Ephesians 5 and verse 11, Paul wrote, We are to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. Now, evil and lawlessness is nothing new. And much of what goes on is done in secret. Every now and then things bubble to the surface and are reported, often incompletely and without being followed up on much. Often they're suppressed by people who have the power to suppress such things, such information. But we have undeniably an increasing level of lawlessness 
in our culture today in many various ways. It's shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret, but all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. Whatever makes manifest is light. Also in chapter 6 and verse 12, Paul said, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. The kind of evil that exists in the world, the various evils exist at the very highest echelons of our society and really at all levels of our society. So we need to be aware of how thoroughly today's world is imbued with a spirit of lawlessness. Now, we shouldn't be obsessed with this subject, and it would be easy to become obsessed, to become discouraged, to become depressed if you just focus on this constantly. And we are told that we need to think on those things that are positive and uplifting which we should do, but there is also a balance in this matter. We need to be aware of the evils about us as well. In the Bible and the prophecies of God's word, we read a great deal about various evils that are condemned by God and that explain why God is going to have to intervene in world affairs in the way that he will one of these days. Jesus prophesied that as the end of this age draws near, lawlessness would abound. In Matthew chapter 24 and verse 12, Jesus said, Because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Speaking of events leading up to the end of this age, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold, and lawlessness is abounding in this age today. Paul also prophesied of the end of the age and the spiritual decay that would accompany the end of this age in 2 Timothy chapter 3 beginning with verse 1. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1, but know this that in the last days perilous times will come for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power and from such people turn away. In other words, we are not to be associated with such conduct in terms of our spiritual relationships. Today I want to discuss in this sermon the lawless condition of this world, what the Bible says about it, and how we can overcome it as far as our own personal lives are concerned. Now, we can't do a great deal to change the way the world is. We are called upon to preach the gospel to deliver a warning to the world, but we can't personally actually change anyone's heart or mind. We can reach out to them. We can preach the gospel. We can issue a warning. 
But what we can do is change your own behavior. We can repent of our own sins. We can overcome lawlessness in our own lives. In 2 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7, Paul wrote that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It was already at work in his day. And it will become even more pronounced, as we've already seen, as we approach the end of the age. The mystery of lawlessness is a system opposed to God that is at the root and core of the world's civilization, and especially its religion and its government. In Nehemiah, we read a prayer of Nehemiah who had been living in captivity in Babylon with other Jews who had been taken out of their land as captives by their enemies. Now, the Jews, the Jewish nation, was a part of the people of Israel, the people that God had chosen, the people that he had delivered out of slavery in Egypt, that he had made a covenant with, as we mentioned earlier, and he had told them that if they would obey his word that he would bless them and that they would remain in their land forever. But they weren't in their land. They had been sent into captivity, taken into captivity by their enemies. Why did God allow that to happen? Why did God allow his chosen people to be taken captive by their enemies and stripped of their inheritance? It tells us in Nehemiah chapter 9, in verse 26, Nehemiah in this prayer said to God, Nevertheless, speaking of the people of Israel and Judah, they were disobedient and rebelled against you, cast your law behind their backs and killed your prophets who testified against them to turn them to yourself, and they worked great provocations. Going on in verse 29, he said of God that God testified against them that you might bring them back to your law. Yet they acted proudly and did not heed your commandments, but sinned against your judgments, which if a man does, he shall live by them. And they shrugged their shoulders, stiffened their necks, and would not hear. Yet for many years you had patience with them and testified against them by your spirit in your prophets. Yet they would not listen. Therefore you gave them into the hand of the people's of the lands. So what was the reason that God sent the people of Israel and then later the people of Judah into captivity? It was because they rejected his word, because they would not listen to correction. They would not heed his commandments. They sinned against his judgments, would not obey his word. And the things that happened to Israel in ancient times are an example and a warning for us today. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writing in 1 Corinthians 10, speaking of the things that happened in ancient Israel, he said, now all these things, and he'd rehearsed a number of things that occurred with the Israelites, especially in the wilderness. And he said in verse 11, now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The things that happened to ancient Israel that are recorded in the Bible 
are not just there as ancient history is, is something to be interested in from an academic standpoint. They are there as a warning, as a witness and an admonition for us today upon whom the ends of ages have come. In Hebrews 3, Paul wrote, beginning with verse 14 here that I'll be reading, Hebrews 3 and verse 14, we have become partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And it's a reference to what happened to the people of Israel in the wilderness, and not only in the wilderness, but also they continued in that state of rebellion pretty much most of their history but especially he's speaking in this context of the rebellion in the wilderness where the people of Israel rejected God's commandments and disobeyed them. And as a result, they were consigned to wandering in the wilderness for 40 years and they died there and their carcasses fell in the wilderness and rotted there without having inherited the promise that God had intended to give them, their children inherited that promise because they were disobedient. They had hardened their hearts against God's laws. Going on in verse 16, it says, For who, having heard, rebelled? Indeed, was it not all who came out of Egypt, led by Moses? God determined that the entire nation had rejected his laws with the exception of three or four people or no more than a handful of people at the most. Even Moses was not allowed to enter into the promised land. Not that he had rejected God's laws, but the entire generation except for two men, and perhaps their families, were allowed to enter the promised land. It says, Now with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned? His corpses fell in the wilderness, and to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Rest referring to the inheritance that they were to receive. But to those who did not obey. To those who did not obey. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Disobedience and unbelief go hand in hand. They didn't believe God and so they did not obey God. And Psalm 50 is a prophecy of the end of this age, the time when Jesus Christ will intervene to punish Israel and then afterward establish his kingdom on the earth. Psalm 50 and verse 1, it says, The mighty one, God the Lord, has spoken and called the earth from the rising of the sun to its going down. For out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God will shine forth. Our God shall come and shall not keep silent. A fire shall devour before him and it shall be very tempestuous all around him. He shall call to the heavens from above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather my saints together to me, those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Let the heavens declare his righteousness for God himself is judge Silah. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. 
And then going on, here's the testimony of God against Israel. Verse 14, offer to God thanksgiving and pay your vows to the Most High. Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to declare my statutes or take my covenant in your mouth? Seeing you hate instruction and cast my words behind you. When you saw a thief, you consented with him and have been a partaker with adulterers. You give your mouth to evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done and I kept silent. You thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. Now consider this, you who forget God, lest I tear you in pieces and there be none to deliver. Whoever offers praise glorifies to me, it glorifies me, and to him who orders his conduct aright, I will show the salvation of God. In Isaiah 59, we read a prophecy of the general condition of lawlessness in Israel. Now remember that these prophecies again, were not just written for an ancient people. They were written for our age as well. Much of what is written in those prophecies apply directly to us today in this age. In Isaiah 50 and verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities, your lawlessness, your breaking of God's laws have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perversity. No one calls for justice, nor does any plead for the truth. They trust in empty words and speak lies. They conceive evil and bring forth iniquity. They hatch vipers' eggs and weave the spider's web. He who eats of their eggs dies, and from that which is crushed a viper breaks out. Their webs will not become garments, nor will they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity, and the act of violence is in their hearts. Their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. The way of peace they have not known. And there is no justice in their ways. They have made themselves crooked paths. Whoever takes that way shall not know peace. Therefore justice is far from us. Nor does righteousness overtake us. We look for light but there is darkness. For brightness, but we walk in blackness. We grope for the wall like the blind, and we grope as if we had no eyes. We stumble at noonday as at twilight, and we are as dead men in desolate places. We all growl like bears and moan sadly like doves. We look for justice, but there is none. You might reflect on what you read in the daily news or what you may hear or see being reported 
and I don't know how you how it strikes you, but I know that in our conversations, my wife and I look at each other and say, where's the sanity? Is there any sanity left in this world? Where is the justice? Where is truth? We look for justice, but there is none. For salvation, but it is far from us. For our transgressions are multiplied before you, and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are with us, and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord and departing from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, justice is turned back, and righteousness stands afar off, and truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. So truth fails, and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. People who protest the evil things that are occurring in today's world often become victims of oppression and attack. People in the baking business, for example, refuse to bake a cake for homosexuals. People of the same sex who want to marry one another, they refuse to bake a wedding cake and participate in that activity and they're fined and jailed. Other people who do similar actions as a protest are attacked in the media. He who departs from evil makes himself a prey. It's becoming more and more problematic even to speak out publicly against such wickedness and the threat of lawsuits and even prosecution hangs over us a, a, a number of people in various countries have been prosecuted for speaking out against various kinds of evils in recent years. And this will continue to snowball and mushroom as we draw closer to the end of this age. You can be sure of that. And then the Lord saw it, and it displeased him that there was no justice. In Isaiah 5, we see why iniquity abounds, why lawlessness is abounding in our culture, as it did in ancient Israel. In Acts 5, beginning with verse 18, Woe to those who draw iniquity with cords of vanity and sin, as if with a cart rope. that say, let him make speed and hasten his work that we may see it and let the counsel of the Holy One of Israel draw near and come that we may know it. In other words, mocking and ridiculing the idea that God will take any action against their deeds. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. And that's the condition we're in today, in today's world. Today, routinely, is evil is called good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness? Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter? Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. Woe to men mighty at drinking wine. Woe to men valiant for making intoxicating drink who justify the wicked for a bribe 
and take away justice from the righteous man. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom shall ascend like the dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts. The reason our society is in the shape it's in and getting worse is because we as a culture, as a nation, as a, a world have rejected God's laws. We've banned God's commandments from the public arena. As in, as I said before, our public officials ridicule and despise God's word openly. God's word is ridiculed and despised in our so-called institutions of higher learning. Maybe they ought to be called institutions of lower learning because that's often what is, it amounts to the lowest and basest of evil and wickedness and reason and truth is despised and rejected quite often. You know, on some campuses, university campuses today, it's essentially forbidden to use terms like the most qualified person should get, a, get the job because that's no longer an acceptable idea. All sorts of other common sense ideas are forbidden to even be uttered on the campuses of our so-called institutions of higher learning. I guess the, the least qualified person should get the job. Or actually, what they're getting at is people should be hired on the basis of what they look like or, or various other extraneous factors that have nothing to do with the person's abilities or qualifications. Verse 25, therefore the anger of the Lord is aroused against his people. He has stretched out his hand against them and stricken them, and the hills trembled. Their carcasses were as refuse in the midst of the streets, for all his, his anger is not turned away, but his hand is stretched out still. Now you might stop and think about what that is saying there, because this is very serious. It's very serious. God is serious about his words and his laws being obeyed and although God is merciful and compassionate and long-suffering there is a limit to his patience God is the author of life and he can take our lives away at any moment God is the author of our blessings and he can take those blessings away as he chooses and as he has warned us would happen to us if we rejected his commandments. In Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 10, and following verses, we read again how God is going to bring disaster upon us because we have cast off his laws. We have practiced lawlessness. In verse 10 of Jeremiah 16, it shall be when you show this people all these words and they say to you, why has the Lord pronounced all this great disaster against us? Or what is our iniquity? What is our sin that we have committed against the Lord our God? What is the sin for which he has pronounced these disasters? And here's the answer. Verse 11. Then you shall say to them, Because your fathers have forsaken me, says the Lord, 
They have walked after other gods and have served them and worshipped them and have forsaken me and not kept my law. Notice what he said, because you have forsaken me, you've worshipped other gods and you have forsaken my law. And you have done worse than your fathers, for behold, each one follows the dictates of his own evil heart so that no one listens to me. No one listens to me anymore, if they ever did. Therefore, I will cast you out of this land into a land that you do not know, neither you nor your fathers, and there you shall serve other gods day and night, where I will not show you favor. In Revelation chapter 2 and verse 6, Jesus Christ is speaking to the churches at Ephesus, although these messages really are to be heeded by all of us, even though they were directed to specific churches or church eras. They are messages for all of us, and as is stated numerous times throughout the chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, but in Revelation 2 and verse 6, Jesus said to the Ephesus church, this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Now notice that Jesus Christ said that he hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. And he commended that group of people that he was speaking to because they too hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, the true and faithful people of the church of God hated those things. In verse 14, he is speaking to the Pergamos church, and he said, But I have a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam. Within the church, talking about within the church, you have those there who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Now this applies actually both spiritually and physically in various ways. And we have ministers even today in, in the church of God telling people that it's just fine to eat things sacrificed to idols. That idolatry is, is not an issue in today's world. When the Bible is full of prophecies condemning idolatry among the people of Israel and other nations at the end of this age. It's how deceived some of the ministers even in who profess to be Church of God ministers are. But he went on to say in verse 15, Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Now who were the Nicolaitans? What is he talking about here? From the Easton Bible Dictionary, we find this statement concerning the Nicolaitans. They were a class of professing Christians who sought to introduce into the church a false freedom or licentiousness. Who sought to introduce into the church a false freedom or licentiousness or you might say lawlessness. Now that's true as far as it goes. But there's actually a great deal more to this term Nicolaitans 
that I don't have time to go into in detail now. But suffice it to say that the term has to do with lawlessness, with lawless conduct and doing the bidding of Satan because that's ultimately what this term refers to, acting without regard to God's laws, rejecting God's laws, being lawless. And we're told that God hates lawlessness. He hates the deeds of the Nicolaitans. He hates lawlessness. He hates lawless behavior. Notice what it says of Jesus Christ in Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews 1 and verse 8. To the Son, He, that is God, says, Your throne, O God, speaking to Christ, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. You have loved righteousness, it says, and hated lawlessness. That tells us Jesus Christ hates lawlessness. Now, therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than your companions. One of the primary reasons that Jesus Christ will be King of kings and Lord of lords is because Jesus Christ loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. Lawlessness can be manifested in various ways, but often it is simply doing what is right in one's own eyes. Yes, you can be lawless even by doing what you think is right according to your own standards. It says in, at the end of the book of Judges, Judges 21 verse 25, where it has recounted all sorts of evil things that happened during the period of the Judges, says in those days there was no king in Israel everyone did what was right in his own eyes now they didn't have to do what was right in their own eyes they had God's word to instruct them and guide them but they essentially disregarded for the most part what God told them to do and did what was right in their own eyes actually they continued to do that even after they had been given a physical king but that is lawlessness when you you don't consult God's word or his laws you simply do what's right in your eyes some years ago the Protestant minister Herman Otten wrote a book called Baal or God and while I don't agree with everything that he wrote in this book by any means but he did make some interesting observations in writing this book one of the observations was when he quoted from a pamphlet published by the National Council of Churches in the USA, and here's what this pamphlet says, published by this church council, the governing body of this church organization. Quoting, it says, The man who really loves God and his neighbor doesn't need any laws or rules to tell him what to do or not to do. Get that? If you love God and your neighbor, you don't need any laws or rules to tell you what to do. That's what this church is telling people. The pamphlet goes on to say, We know that there is sexual contact between unmarried couples that is motivated by love and which is pure 
and on occasions beautiful. In other words, unmarried people can copulate and that's just fine with them because that's, that's love that's pure, that's beautiful according to this church. Another statement from the pamphlet, what justifies and sanctifies sexuality is not the external marital status of the people before the law, but rather what they feel toward each other in their hearts. So adultery, fornication is justified if you feel it's right in your heart. Now, here's the clincher in this pamphlet. It says you've got to make up your own mind in the best light of your own conscience what your own standards of conduct are going to be and then do your best to live up to them. In other words, you make your own rules. You decide what is right and what is wrong. That's exactly the same lie that Satan told Adam and Eve in the garden that they could make up their own rules and live happily ever after. They didn't have to pay any attention to what God said. They could just live by their own rules. The same book, Baylor God, quotes a man named Pierre Marcel, who was president of the International Association for Reform, Faith, and Action, another religious group of a professing Christian religion. International Association for Reform, Faith, and Action, quote, it should be noticed that the rejection of the Ten Commandments and in a more general way of every absolute moral criterion of every law was initiated at the very beginning of modern Protestant theology by one of its most important representatives, Friedrich Schallermacher. In other words, what he's saying is that at the very foundation of Protestantism is a rejection of the Ten Commandments. And this Schaller mocker was not the only early theologian to do that. Many others did, including Martin Luther. This commentator, Pierre Marcel, goes on to say, we observe a conformity of the teaching of the church to the world and to unregenerate public opinion. The theologians become the ideologians of the spirit of their time. They express the ideas of their time and provide them with a theoretical justification. What makes this so serious is that this happens precisely in the name of Christianity, in the name of love and understanding for men. So this is an observation of what constitutes Christianity for a great many people. Christianity is there to justify whatever people decide that they want to do and find some excuse for it in vague ideas like love and understanding and tolerance. Now, not all Christian churches necessarily take that approach, but even where many churches teach a respect for law, often it is their law, their traditions, that take precedence over God's laws. 
This is the same circumstance as what had become commonplace among the Jews at the time of Jesus. Where Jesus told them in Mark 7 and verse 6, in Mark 7 and verse 6, he answered and said to them, Well did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. See, they worship God in vain. They were teaching as doctrines, not God's commandments, but their own commandments. He went on to say, For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men, the washing of pitchers and cups and many other such things you do. He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. You reject God's commandments so you can keep your traditions. He went on to say, For Moses said, Honor your father and mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, if a man says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is korban, that is a gift to God, then you no longer let him do anything for his father or his mother. Making the word of God of no effect through your tradition, which you have handed down, and many such things you do. By the time Jesus was saying these words, the Jews had come up with all sorts of ways of reasoning around God's commandments to make them of no effect. And the same thing has happened in Christianity. You don't have to keep the seventh day holy, people are told, even though that's the day that was commanded to be kept in the Ten Commandments. That's the day the church of Jesus Christ and the apostles kept holy in accordance with God's word, but people are told now, this began, of course, very early after the era of the original apostles. In fact, actually, there were, there were Christians even keeping Sunday during the time of the apostles that called themselves Christians, who were not really Christians, but they thought of themselves as Christians or claimed to be. And people are told that they don't have to Keep the seventh day holy. That's Old Testament stuff. You can keep Sunday. You don't even have to keep Sunday necessarily, people are often told. You can pick any day to keep. All time is holy, or you can make any time holy that you decide to make holy. You don't have to keep the days God proclaimed to be holy. And in their place, they have sanctified in the place of the days God proclaimed to be holy, they've sanctified other days by human tradition. Days like Sunday, like Christmas, like Easter, and so forth, which are not found to be holy days by consulting the Bible. There's nothing in the Bible about making Christmas into a holy day, which is the supposed date of Jesus' birth, which is simply a lie because it's not Jesus' birth. There's nothing in the Bible about keeping Easter as a holy day and supposedly using it to observe or to remember the resurrection of Jesus. You do find in the Bible, though, a command to remember the death of Jesus Christ on the Passover. So churches that even give lip service to 
the commandments often teach their own tradition in place of the commandments, just as happened in among the people of ancient Judah and still do today. And besides this, many churches that claim to be Christian twist and pervert the scriptures, especially certain statements in some of Paul's epistles to teach that keeping the commandments of God is not a requirement for Christians. They're told that works have nothing to do with salvation. People are told that you don't have to obey God's laws for salvation. You can ignore and reject them. And that's just fine as long as you profess to believe in Jesus as your Savior. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 3, what Peter said, he said, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 16, speaking of the epistles of Paul, it says, is also in all his epistles, speaking then them of these things in which are some things hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction as they do also the rest of the scriptures. Now, various scriptures are often twisted and perverted and distorted, but especially quite often the epistles of Paul, in which uh, there are some things that are that takes some very serious effort to really properly comprehend and understand and take a willingness to be taught and to be guided by God's Spirit. But the idea is that Paul taught lawlessness. Paul taught that you could disobey God's laws and His commandments with impunity. The Bible emphatically teaches, however, that if you persistently break God's commandments, you will not enter the kingdom of God. In Galatians, which is one of the favorite books of those who would claim that Paul taught lawlessness, we read in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another, so you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, he did not mean, as many people would claim, in this statement, you're not under the law, that you do not need to obey God's laws or commandments because the very context shows that that's not the case. What he means is you're not under the old covenant system with its curses for disobedience. You're no longer condemned, in other words, by the law, if you're led by the Spirit. And he goes on to say, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, one of the Ten Commandments, fornication, one of the Ten Commandments, uncleanness, which is covered by various laws, including the Ten Commandments, because sin is of itself uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, several of the Ten Commandments address that subject, sorcery, hatred, we're told that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer in your heart, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies. If you're lying and twisting God's word, that's heresy. 
envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In Galatians 6 and verse 7, Paul wrote, Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived, he said. God is not mocked, for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. And he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. It's a matter of life and death is what he's saying. And if you sow to the flesh, in other words, if you, if you engage in lawless conduct as a matter of course, then you will die. You'll wind up being nothing but dust and ashes. But if you sow to the Spirit, if you walk after the Spirit of God and follow His Word, you will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. In Revelation 21 and verse 7, Jesus said through John, who recorded what Jesus told him to write down, He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death. Again, showing clearly that if you are lawless in your conduct, then what you can expect is to be punished with death, even the second death, if you choose that path. Revelation 22 and verse 12, Jesus said, Behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. According to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. Now notice that Jesus said he's going to judge us according to our works and that those who do his commandments will have right to eternal life and the kingdom of God but outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie in Matthew 4 and verse 4 Jesus quoted an Old Testament scripture that said we are to live by every word of God not to live by bread alone but by every word of God and that means for a Christian that God's word is law. If you're to live by every word of God, then every word of God is law. Isaiah, in Isaiah 8 and verse 20, wrote to the law and to the testimony, If and usually testimony where often the word testimony is in this context, refers directly to the Ten Commandments, to the law and to the testimony, if they do not speak according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. And there are those who claim to be leading people toward light, such as uh, 
Masonic organizations, but they have their own commandments, their own rules, their own standards of conduct, which are not God's standards or his rules. They're not his laws. In fact, in that system is inculcated all sorts of paganism and idolatrous teaching and false religion. Paul warned Titus to hold fast to the faithful word in instructing Timothy about the ordination of elders. And the word elder, often in the Bible, some have the mistaken idea that elder simply means an older person. It can mean that, but usually, or more often, in the scriptures, the word elder is referring to someone who is in a leadership position. In the New Testament, it's often used for ministers. And in Titus, Paul is instructing Timothy on the ordination of elders or ministers. And he said that one who was to be ordained was to be holding fast the faithful word as he has been taught. Notice what it is that he is to hold fast to. He is to hold fast to the faithful word, faithful teachings, true teachings of the word of God. Not false teachings, but true teachings. Not false traditions that he might have learned or false or misleading understanding of scripture. But he is to hold fast to the faithful word, the true teaching of the word of God, that he may be able by sound doctrine, so that he can, by sound doctrine, sound teaching, both exhort and convict those who contradict. In 2 John chapter 1, verse 9, we're told that those who do not abide in the doctrine of Jesus Christ do not have God. In other words, they are not in a saving relationship with God. In chapter 1 and verse 9, 2 John, whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. In other words, a lawless person who does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God goes on to say, he who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. So if we're living according to the teachings of Jesus Christ, which is also the same thing that we read in other places in the scriptures, then we have a relationship with the Father and with Christ. And he warns against being involved in spiritual fellowship with those who do not, who do not teach this doctrine he says if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine do not receive him into your house nor greet him now this is talking you do not receive that person as a a teacher or a person with whom you would have spiritual fellowship it doesn't mean that you treat people you meet on the street or people who do not share your faith in some spiteful or evil way but you do not have spiritual fellowship. You do not regard as brothers in the faith those who teach against the doctrines of Jesus Christ. We're told by Christ that we are his disciples truly only if we abide in his word. 
John 8, verse 30, as he spoke these words. Many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What makes one a true disciple of Jesus is living by his word, by the word of God, by the scriptures. So we need to, in order to overcome lawlessness in our own nature, in order to overcome the influence of this world, we need to focus our minds constantly on the word of God. We need to be studying the scriptures daily. We need to understand what the scriptures teach, especially about the laws of God and how they apply in our lives. We need to put those teachings to practice daily in our lives. We need to be growing in understanding of how to apply them properly in our lives. In 1 John 3 and verse 4, we're told that whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. Or as it says in the King James Version, sin is the transgression of the law. When you are lawless or you transgress the laws of God, you're sinning. And in the Greek, the word commits here in this verse, the Greek word is poion, and it means to do or to commit in this context, it's the present active participle of poio. And as is explained in the commentary word pictures in the New Testament by Robertson, in this context, this particular form of the word means to be in the habit of doing or committing sin. Committing sin is a way of life, in other words. And in verse 6, it says that one who is of Christ is not sin. The word there is hamartane, which is a present indicative of hamartano, the word for sin. And it means it does not keep on sinning. In other words, a Christian may sin, but one who is a, a true disciple of Jesus does not accept sin as a way of life. Even though we may sin out of weakness or ignorance or for some other reason, it's not something that we accept or approve of in our own lives. It's not something that we are going to just be comfortable with and habitually do without striving to put those sins out of our lives. So while we may sin through human weakness on occasion we should recognize our sins and repent of them and strive to put sin out of our lives it's what god would have us do so that we can live not in a lawless manner but in a righteous manner following the example of jesus christ the mark of a true christian as opposed to imposters is that true Christians understand what God's law is and are yielded to it and are earnestly striving to obey it in faith. Yes, it takes faith to be a Christian, but we obey God's word if we have faith.
true, genuine, saving faith. As Jesus said in Matthew 7 and verse 21, Matthew 7 and verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? Now notice what is said here. Here are people who were teaching, preaching in the name of Christ, who are even casting out demons in the name of Jesus Christ and doing wonders, perhaps even working miracles in the name of Jesus Christ. And what did Jesus say? He said, then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. True Christians have come under the new covenant, the essence of which is having God's laws written in their hearts and as a part of a new nature patterned after the nature of Jesus Christ. This covenant is summarized in Hebrews 10 verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Yes, God will put his laws into our hearts and write them there so that they become a part of our nature if we are yielded to him and empowered by his spirit. And then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Their lawless deeds will not remember, be remembered because they're no longer practicing lawlessness. Being a Christian does not give you a license to live without regard to God's laws, contrary to what many people mistakenly, unfortunately, believe. And by the way, if you're one hearing this who has had that belief, then I implore you and challenge you to reconsider, to study the Bible with an open mind, to find out what God's word actually says about obedience to God's commandments because the Bible is full of statements instructing us that we must keep God's laws if we expect to be in his kingdom. We're told in Revelation 14 and verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. The patience of the saints, the true Christians. Here are those who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Jesus. In a nutshell, that's what a Christian is. One who is striving with all his might to keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. There will always be those seeking to draw you away from the truth of God's word. Those who will want to encourage you to practice lawlessness, who will make excuses, who may even attack you if you are striving to obey God's word. Remember that over the centuries, Christians have been murdered over and over again for obeying God's word. The prophets were killed because they told people the truth. We need to judge anyone's teachings, no matter what they claim to be or who they claim to be or what 
offices they might claim for themselves. Their teachings need to be judged according to the standard of God's word. And we need to resist sin, which is the transgression of God's laws. And we can overcome it with the help of God if we diligently strive to do that and ask God for his help and guidance and strength. We can obey God's word. We can obey his laws with his help. And if we do that, we will be in his kingdom. 